2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile
2: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Joe, tell our listeners what you told me about the all-natural B1 sports performance and wellness patch that's revolutionizing sports nutrition.
3: Fans, there's no more sugary energy drinks or extra caffeine for an energy boost. The B1 patch is fast-acting. It's body heat activated and proudly made here in the United States. It's a must-have if you're out on the golf course or on the go or just patching up your future major leaguers. Feel good about using this 100%
2: all-natural B1 patch from USA National Patches. It's easy to apply, worn by over 200 athletes, and is the official patch of 78 Division I
3: schools. And Mike, i personally used the B1 patch for years, and they've made a A real difference in my life. Visit buyb1.com and enter the code UMPIRE to buy B1 and get one free. I really want you to try these, and I want all our listeners to try it. You'll be glad you did. It's the B1 patch. Don't compete without it. That's buyb1.com. Enter the code
2: UMPIRE and buy one and get one free. Welcome to 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Featuring former Major League Baseball umpire, Joe West. For six decades, no one has seen more baseball than Joe West. And now he shares those stories with you every week right here on the Podcast Heat Network.
1: is asking the Reds to leave the field. I guess maybe as a form of security.
3: Well Joe West is not going back behind the the catcher. So what is he doing? He he wants to throw him out or what?
1: He's not gonna back away from confrontation. It's just not in his makeup.
0: Which guy are we talking about back in the way?
1: Well, come to think of it, hey,
0: it's both guys. And they're warning the Atlanta dugout now. A helmet came flying out. Bobby Cox, I don't think, threw the helmet. One of his players did. But Bobby's jawing back at Joe West. But somebody's been tossed, and here comes Cox. It was Bobby Cox who threw the helmet out there.
2: The umpire and oh. that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled and he appears none the worse for it.
0: <laughs> He's a strong
2: man. Nice. Now Joe's gonna give him some argument because Mark's saying, What do you do? Joe, just get over there and umpire, will you? Yeah, just get over there and umpire. No. That's all. It's 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Here's Joe West
3: and your host. Mike Claiborne.
2: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of 5460, the Joe West podcast. I'm Mike Claiborne, and we have another special guest for us this afternoon, and he is the great George Will. George Will, everyone has uh, followed your work for so many years, so we thank you for being part of what we do today.
1: Well, I'm glad to be. Baseball's been uh, good to me. I've published sixteen books, one of which has sold more than the other fifteen combined. And it was- <laughs> it's called "Work the Craft of Baseball," and and I think that's a sign of national health that people would much rather
3: read about baseball than politics. <laughs> yeah, well, it you- was it was a bestseller for uh, like twelve weeks. I think it was oh, number no, one on the
1: that it was on the New York Times list for. Four months, it was on the top of the list for two months, and it was the second best-selling nonfiction book of
3: 1990. Yeah, you you did some uh, some great research on there, and of course you you separated it into a manager, a hitter, a pitcher, a fielder. I, I it was just am- amazing how you put it all together.
1: The fielder was Ripken, the the uh, manager was Larusa, the hitter was Tony Gwynn, three Hall of Famers, and the fourth, he's not a Hall of Famer, the pitcher was Oral Hershiser, who uh, picked the year I was writing about to set the record for consecutive scoreless innings, which
3: is very good of him. Yeah, that, now that's a special, uh, special thing in itself because uh, the record he broke was Don Drysdale's. Right. And they both pitched for the same team. And the funny thing was, the night he broke the record for most consecutive uh, innings without giving up a run, I had the plate. And the funny thing is the Dodgers lost the game because <laughs> it went extra innings. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was quite a landmark that, uh, uh, I don't, he sneaked up on it and it was the, probably the greatest year he ever had as a pitcher. Uh, and, and that, that was the year that they beat uh, Oakland in the world series. Yeah. And the, and the funny thing is is uh they beat Oakland without their star players cuz they had a bunch of them on the disabled list when they went to the World Series. And uh but that that's interesting that you picked him and he was uh he was quite the pitcher and he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'll tell I, you I,
1: it might be interesting the reason I picked him was I was going to do Jack Morris So I flew to Detroit and talked to Jack and I said, I'm not sure I want to spend that much time with Jack. Uh, Nothing wrong with Jack, had a great pitcher and a great guy, but he he was not, he was sort of curmudgeonly. And uh, so I called uh, Peter O'Malley, then the uh, chief owner of the Dodgers. And I said, would Fernando Venezuela be, Venezuela be a good subject as a pitcher? Is his English good enough? He says his English is fine. But what you really ought to do is consider Oral Hersheizer because he's particularly articulate and thoughtful about his craft and that's how it worked out.
3: Well, it seemed like a great choice. You did, you did very well there. And uh, you know what, you've, you've also been involved in a lot of things with baseball. I, mean, I know that you were on a committee that I met with years ago that uh, Commissioner Selig put together yeah where he wanted input from as many sources as he could to, to correct the little intricacies of the game that he didn't think were working quite well. Stuff like, um, speeding up the game and all that kind of stuff. I think we met in, in, uh, in Scottsdale.
1: That's correct.
3: At some fancy hotel. And that, that might be the first time that we really crossed paths and got to speak at all. But, uh, we've kept up over the years and, and Mike, it's really funny because after that meeting, I think, uh, George went to Frank Robinson one day and he was, he was upset that I had made a call that went against his, his Washington team. <laughs> and he said, he told Frank, he said, let me tell you what this Joe West did. He ran across the diamond to make a, to change a call at third base. Well, of course the, Frank stopped him right there. He said, let's get something straight, George. Joe West hadn't run across that diamond in a long time. <laughs> right. right.
2: Hey, so, George, for you, uh, many, many people know your work from your political writings. How did you have this affection for baseball?
1: Well, I can't remember life without it. I'm 81 years old. I grew up in Champaign, Illinois, and uh, at about age seven, uh, baseball was in the air at that time, literally in the air. Radio was a radio sport in the 40s, and there were two teams in Chicago and two in St. Louis, Browns as well as the Cardinals. And St. Louis was the westernmost outpost of baseball, so we had baseball on the radio all the time. And at an, Champagne is midway between Chicago and St. Louis, and at an age. Really too tender to make life shaping decisions. I had to choose between being a Cub fan and a Cardinal fan. <laughs> all my friends became Cardinal fans and grew up happy and liberal. And I became <laughs> I became a Club Cub fan and became a gloomy conservative. <laughs> the Cardinals had Red Shane and Enos Slaughter and Stan Musil and all those guys, Marty Marion. And the Cubs had Ernie Banks, and that was it. And uh, so it was, it was a long uh, immersion in losing. <laughs> now, now, however, the Cubs win the World Series with metronomic regularity once every 108 years.
2: We, we can count on that, right? Yeah. We set our watches and calendars by
1: it. 21-24, be on board. They'll be back. <laughs>
2: hey, for you, uh, you, you watch so many great players over the course of your life. Uh, who are some of the players you've come to truly appreciate?
1: Well, it's interesting. I just uh, read a biography, brand-new biography of Ricky Henderson, who seems to me everyone knows a great player, but he might still be underrated. There are a few of those that gr- underrated great players. Uh, Musial's one, Frank Robinson's another, but Ricky, my Lord. Point of the game is sort of to score runs, and he scored more runs than anyone else. Uh, he could. He's the only player i've seen who could take over a game you know in in football a quarterback with a hot hand or a hot running back can take over a game in basketball a shooter with a hot hand can take over the game aside from a dominating pitcher on offense it's hard to take over a baseball game but ricky would come up to the plate with that uh batting stance that crouch of his with a, a strike zone about the size of a postcard and he'd walk, and he'd tiptoe to first, and then he'd steal second, and he'd go to third on a ground out, and he'd score on a sacrifice fly, and the game's over. Uh, he could just create runs uh, better than anyone I've ever seen.
3: Which uh, the players today are having a hard time doing. We we've got to put a runner on second base in the extra inning so we can get the game over with. And uh, I I think you're right. He is underrated, and and there's a, there's a few more out there. You know, I remember. A kid in the early eighties, Dale Murphy, who was MVP of the national league two years in a row. Yeah. And I, th- I think he's underrated. I remember when, um, when, uh, Roger Maris, when I was a kid, he broke the home run record and he was a great outfielder and he was a 300 hitter until they told him to hit in front of and pulled the ball out of the park. And, uh, so, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of those guys out there that, are not getting their due recognition. And uh, and I, it's it's neat that you point that out because a lot of people wouldn't pick Ricky Henderson as a star player or a hall of famer. And he is, he's, he's a great player. He was a great player.
1: His his attitudes sometimes left something to be desired. And I think you umpires probably had your fill of him because he, you know,
3: I, I had him at home plate one day. Well, actually I was the third base umpire when he gave this young kid a Uh, a hard time, and he went to to the outfield, and I called him over, and I said, uh, do you think that we try to show you up if we think you've made a mistake? And he said, well, no, no, I don't. I said, well, why did you try to show that kid up? He's trying to do the very best he can. In fact, he's trying to earn a job up here, and you just embarrassed him and tried to belittle him in front of 40,000 people. He said, I'm wrong. I'll apologize. And the next at bat, he went up and apologized to the kid. That uh, that so sometimes mean. sometimes you bring people and show them what you're talking about, and they understand it. And uh, he was very good after that. I don't, I don't remember him ever giving an umpire a hard time after that. I, 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 had, him, I had him come up to me one day when I called him out on strikes. He said, do you remember that lecture you gave me? He said, don't call that pitch on me again, please. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: Joe, you know what? There's a lot of great things about people who drink coffee, but guess what? We found something that will soothe everybody's palate when it comes to having a good cup of coffee.
3: Yeah, this new company that's helping us sponsor this podcast is called Trade Coffee, and they design the coffee to your individual taste. I can remember traveling across the country doing umpiring all over the country, and the coffee's different everywhere you go. The coffee in Seattle is different than the coffee in Atlanta. And I I think the good thing about this is trade coffee makes your coffee so that you like it. And it's like your choice of how you want it to taste.
2: And you know, one of the things I noticed about trade coffee is the fact that they've tested over 450 roasts. So they know exactly what they can recommend for you. And that's something I don't think anybody else has even thought about a 450 different tests and B you can have something that fits what you like compared to what you're being poor because
3: somebody else likes it. Look, they've delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. You can't do any better than that.
1: Hey,
2: how about the fact that you just said deliver? Trade Coffee can be delivered to you instead of you having to go out and search for it. And I think that really solves a lot of problems for people because in some cities, you may be able to find a certain coffee, in other cities you can't, but with Trade Coffee, all you have to do is get it delivered to you and you're set.
3: Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping. When you go to drinktrade.com slash Joe West, That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. And you can get started by
2: taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash Joe West, and
3: then they'll let Trey Coffee find the coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash Joe West for $30 off. How about that? Trey Coffee, everybody. You'll love it.
1: The committee that uh, you and I were, that you talked to that I was on in Scottsdale one of the things we were talking about was replay. Yes. And I always thought, and I'd like your opinion on that, I always thought that one thing instant replay was going to show is just how good the umpires are. And of course, they're going to make mistakes, but, boy, you get a lot of them right, particularly in these bang-bang plays. And uh, I, I wonder what, what you the umpires think of the broadcasts that have that box on that shows, supposedly shows the strike zone. Because, again it makes the umpires look awfully good it seems to me because they well s-
3: the biggest problem with that box is it's not consistent with each broadcast or what the umpires are being graded on because they're graded on every pitch they call mm-hmm. and uh, so they adjust to what their their scorecard is from the night before and they they try to get as consistent as they can i it's really funny I, i've told this story before but <laughs> Uh, I was working with Andy Fletcher and he was a quality umpire. He's a very good umpire. And, uh, he came to me the next day and he was all distraught. And he says, the machine said, I missed six pitches. And I said, well, I was working second base across from you. I couldn't see a pitch that I could even argue. And he said, uh, yeah, but it said I missed six pitches and he was down feeling bad. And I said, well, Andy, how many did the machine miss? He said, oh, it didn't track 14. (laughs) I said, let me get this straight. We're going to hire, we're going to use a machine to call balls and strikes that misses twice as many pitches as you do. (laughs) And then he he realized, you know, everything's not going to be perfect. You have to strive to be the very best you can be. But the thing that bothers me is like there was a Cardinal game against the Mets. And in the Cardinal feed of this one game, Uh, The ball was outside the strike zone in the Met feed. It was inside the strike zone. So I don't care which box you use. Let's all use the same one. So we all know what we're calling. I mean, they have these umpire report cards that come out and they're not accurate at all. Whoever makes those up is is not even close because the last year I worked in the major leagues, we didn't have an umpire that was under 95% accuracy. And these umpire scorecards come out and say, oh, he only shot a 79 or he had an 84. So they're not, they're not legitimate. And, uh, when they first started putting that box up, the worst broadcast was TBS because their box wasn't accurate at all. And we had problems. The union had problems, uh, talking with the commissioner's office about trying to make it more consistent. But I think the fan likes to see the box. Uh, but I hate the fact that it's not as accurate as it should be. So uh, that's that's my big problem with the box. But you're right. The the replay shows that the Major League umpires today on the bases are excellent. They, and they're getting better because well, they have to go to replay for at least two weeks out of the year. And that's like on-the-job training. It's helped, it's helped abundantly the young umpires because they get to see – everybody else's work where they get to see angles they've probably never seen before.
1: Joe, what was, your, what was your first year umpiring?
3: 1976.
1: Okay. Now, what do you think of the changes in baseball, the quality of the product on the field as it's changed since 1976?
3: Well, the, the biggest problem is they're not playing the game as it's designed. They don't hit the cutoff man. And uh, and the reason they don't hit the cutoff man is it's just poor coaching. They don't run the bases well because they haven't played enough. You know, when we were kids growing up, we played every day. These kids don't play every day. They have other things to do. And, uh, and the funny thing is when I started, you couldn't have had replay because all the games weren't televised. But when, when you and I started watching baseball, all the games were televised. In fact, when we were growing up, the only game of the week on television was that Saturday game of the week that, uh, Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek were announcing. And, um, but I think over, over the years, the, the athletes gotten bigger and stronger, but I'm not so sure they play the game as well as Willie Mays or as well as Clemente or as well as Aaron and mantle. And, uh, And, and I agree with you. I think Stan Musial is very underrated, but Stan was the Ted Williams of the national league. Stan was a great hitter, but he wasn't a flashy outfielder like Mays and Mantle could be. And somebody asked me one time how, why it took so long for Richie Ashburn to get in the hall of fame. I said, because they were comparing him to Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and that's (laughs) <laughs> that's probably why it took him so long, but
1: also because they weren't valuing defense,
3: right? It's, exactly. I, in
1: my men at work book, I, I campaigned for two people to get in the hall of fame, Bill Mazarowski and Richie Ashburn. And I argued that ball players spend a lot more time with leather on their hands and with wood in their hands and run prevention is just as important as scoring runs. And, uh, if you looked at the, at, the tremendous statistics of ashburn as a center fielder it was a slam dunk case
3: well there's no question and you're absolutely right and mazerowski did eventually make it and he had the greatest shortest speech of any hall of famer
1: (laughs) what was it i don't remember
3: well he had a tear in his eye (laughs) he just he just shook his head and walked back to his seat (laughs) he never said a word
2: George, what about you? I know you asked Joe the question how how much things have changed since he started. What about you? What's some of the things that stand out for you as far as how the game is played now compared to, let's say, 1976?
1: Well, I think the the product baseball is putting on the field is very inferior. I think it's driving fans away. In one of the years when Bud Selig was commissioner, baseball came within 300,000 of drawing 7 million people. This year, I think there'll be 63 or 64 million. Now, that's a lot of fans staying away from the ballpark. I'm told that the average fan watching on television watches 50 minutes and turns away. And at the 50 minutes, you're in the third or fourth inning. The game, the pace of play is too slow. Uh, The ball is not put in play often enough. In 2020, game six, final game, most watched game of the year, the 2020 Dodgers-Tampa Bay World Series the ball was put in play an average of once every six and a half minutes. And in the last 25 minutes of the game, it was put in play twice. Now in the normal season now, it's put in play about once every four and a half minutes. And there are a couple reasons for this. One is that velocity is overwhelming the game. Uh, you've got all these guys that were 6'5 and throw 95. And by the way, a six foot five pitcher releases the ball about a foot closer to the plate at least, given the length of his arms and the length of his stride, than Whitey Ford did. Whitey Ford was 5'10", and no one would draft Whitey Ford these days, even though he's a left-hander. Uh, so it, they've got to do something to get more balls in play and more offense. The, the game we now have of the so-called three true outcomes, walk, strikeout, home run, and that's a third of all at-bats are walks, strikeouts, or home runs is boring we have these stunning superb defensive players arenado lindor all these guys and they stand there while people strike out and walk back to the dugout in that game six by the way of the 2020 world series there were 54 outs exactly half 27 were strikeouts now, people are paying a lot of money and going to a lot of trouble to get to a ballpark to see a guy walk up to the plate and then walk back to the dugout it's not exciting sorry uh, I want to see Arenado field the ball, which is why I'm in favor of banning the shift. Which is why, and here's a question for you, Joe. You know, I'm, I'm, there's a rule that says, as I understand it, once you get in the batter's box, you're supposed to stay there.
3: Yes, and uh, when the umpires tried to enforce it, they got into the arguments with the players, and the office didn't back us up. So well, the umpires quit doing it. And, well, and when you make a rule, you have to enforce it. If you're going to have it work, you have to all be on the same page and you can't worry about getting in trouble. You know, you're right about putting the ball in play. If, if Rod Carew was going to face the hitter that threw exceptionally hard, he might choke up an extra inch. Mike Schmidt choked up. Barry Bonds choked up. Uh, this guy Rizzo is playing for the Yankees. He chokes up, especially when he gets two strikes on him. These guys are not thinking, I need to make contact. I can't win the game if I'm back in the dugout sitting on my can. So uh, you make a very valid point, but there again, how are we coaching these people? How are we getting – they're thinking, is their agent have so much influence on them that you have to hit a home runs? You have to do this. You have to, no, you have to win the games. And we had we had Jim Leland on uh, a week ago and doing an interview and. And he said, it's really funny. They don't steal, hit and run or bunt until they get to the playoffs. And he said, but the good managers, when you get to the playoffs, they steal and they bunt, they hit and run, and they try to move the runners and they play good defense. And if you can remember the Whitey Herzog teams with with the Cardinals, Jack Clark, uh, I mean, it was Joaquin Andujar said this about him. He says, Anybody could manage this team. you got eight leadoff hitters and Jack Clark. And they all were fast, and they all played good defense. And they all would choke up and hit the ball if they were facing somebody overpowering.
1: Joe, um, wouldn't it wouldn't – it, a lot of this would be solved if we had a pitch clock because a pitch clock means if you get – if there's no one on and you got 14 seconds to deliver the ball. The batter can't wander around thinking about higher mathematics or whatever they're thinking right. when they wander around because the ball's coming, and you can call a strike if he's not in the batter's box. Furthermore, it takes care a little bit of the velocity problem. One reason pitchers slow down is they're max they're giving maximum effort on every pitch, and they need the extra seconds to recover.
3: Yeah, and one of our worst culprits for that was Nolan Ryan. Mm-hmm. He'd throw the ball and grunt, and then he'd walk around the mound and catch his breath because he'd given everything he had for that last pitch. Well, if and they- uh, you're exactly right. We, we need to keep him in the box. I think uh, I think the 80, the middle 80s, the Mets had this walk-up music, yeah. which is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> to have, yeah. have to, I have walk-up music. We're watching a Broadway player. We're watching baseball. Uh, one of the other things Jimmy Leland said is, when the guy hits a ground ball, why is it the on deck hitter walking to the plate? He should exactly. be walking up, and exactly. they're not doing it because they're waiting for their walk up music. <laughs> so you're you're right on target there. So maybe maybe we should put another committee together, and you and I can be on it, and we we can go to dinner and talk about it too. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs>
3: Guys, it's time to bring that summer heat back into the bedroom. That's right. Confidence can take you far in life. It can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable tablet and at the fraction of a cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead and be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign
2: up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of our licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive a prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no doctor's office visits, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the
3: pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made in the United States and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions
2: are important. What about lasting impressions?
3: Yeah, it's time to get off the couch and back to work. If your tool needs an upgrade, you need blue Women say there's nothing sexier than confidence and blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you can benefit from the extra confidence, when it's time to perform blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try blue Chew free. When you use our promo code, Joe West at checkout, just pay $5 for shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code Joe West, to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast.
1: A few weeks ago, the Nationals played a midweek afternoon game in City Field against the Mets. They were short of arms, so they called up from the minor leagues. Kid made his, pitcher made his, Major League debut, and this kid had never pitched except under a pitch clock. And the guys told me the game was unrecognizable. It was so much better. It just move, 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 which was wonderful. Now, 80% of all Major League pitchers today have pitched under a pitch clock in the minor leagues. and at one time. Yes. Then it's going to be 100%. So let's do it for Pete's sake.
3: Yeah. Well, you remember Jim Cott. Oh, yeah. When Jim Cott pitched, if the game went two hours, it was in extra innings. And I can remember Randy Jones, and I've said this before, if he threw 100 pitches, we were in the 11th inning. (laughs) He made you hit the ball. And there's also another uh, idea out there where they – they say that oh you got to go deep in the count make it make the pitcher work make, make him go deep in the count well if you went deep in the count on Tom Seaver and Steve Carlton you were in the dugout after three pitches yeah. so some of that the pitchers need to throw more strikes and you're right uh, if if you put a pitch clock on them it'll speed up the game because they will be expending as much energy as say Nolan Ryan did to throw that fastball
1: yeah the uh uh It it, it seems to me, at any rate, that we can get back to what John Miller noticed. John Miller, the broadcaster, recently watched a kinescope. tells you how long ago it was. A kinescope of the last game of the 1953 World Series. High-tension game. He said, not once in the entire game did any player on either team get in the batter's box and then step out of it. Not once. So you can change the mores of these, the behaviors of these guys... Quickly, just change the rule and enforce it.
3: Well, are, that's, that's the other point. You, you have to be able to enforce it. And the office and the teams have to be behind it because you can't have conflicts that take away from the game that shouldn't even be there.
0: Yeah. There shouldn't
3: be an argument between an umpire and a player when you say get in the box. There should never be an argument for that. So you, you're exactly right there so george what other rules would you like to see adjusted
2: eliminated
1: tweaked well as i say the shift i, I don't have strong feelings about that there are two kinds of ways of eliminating the shift one is two two players have to be on either side of second base and the other is two players have to be on either side of second base and their feet on the dirt as the pitch is delivered but i'm for one of those uh, I'm for the pitch clock, as I as I say, uh, I'm not for moving the mound back, but I'd, I'd go back to what I just said about the difference between Whitey Ford and a guy who's now six five. We've essentially just by having bigger pitchers, we've moved the the pitching rubber a foot closer to home plate, just effectively, in terms of the time that the batter has to adjust to the to the the speed. Furthermore. I mean, Joe was talking a moment ago about the mantra in baseball for a while was run up the count. One reason for that was that we'll run up the count, we'll get the starter out of the game. If there's mediocrity in baseball, it's in middle relief and we'll feast on the middle relievers. Well, the middle relievers now are all 6'5 and throw 95. And they've got a warehouse full of them in every ballpark as far as I can tell. So there's no point in doing that. And in fact the problem is just when the game ought to get most exciting in the late innings, it congeals, it slows down as one reliever follows another lefty righty, and all that stuff. I, I don't much like the requirement of say that a relief pitcher has to face three batters, but something's got to be done. To keep well, that team. was,
3: that was basically a speed up rule. Yeah. It was, it was done because, right. uh and it was just because of managers like La Russa and, and Jim Leland and Joe Torrey because they would righty lefty, righty lefty, and and then uh, that that took time to do. So that became a a concern. But uh, I I think uh, and I think Jim Leland touched on it the other day when he said, uh, you know, the hitters are are slowing down the game just as much as the pitchers, or maybe more.
1: More, more. I think.
3: Yeah. Well, then, then you're, you're in total agreement with him, but, uh, and I have no problem saying that the umpires need to need to move the game along. I think between innings, the umpire needs to walk up the line like you're taught at umpire school to get the, the team coming on the field, on the field, let's go. It's time to play, you know, but we have one other thing that we haven't touched on here and, and baseball is not going to like it when, I say this, but your commercial time between innings is a joke. We have stock car races that show the commercial on a split screen so they don't miss any of the action.
1: Well, Joe, like- Base- baseball is going to do that. And, the, you know, the, the advertisers are going to like it because what they find is that if, a, if you're on a split screen, people are looking at the screen. Yeah. They may your attention may be divided between the guy at the plate, or the pitcher winding up, and the product they're selling, but they're seeing the product they're selling. Yeah. Uh, so I I agree with you entirely.
3: Yeah, but to, to have a three minute commercial between innings in a World Series is an eternity.
1: Yes.
2: A-
3: and if the weather is cold, all you're doing is hurting the pitching. Yeah. So that's that's not good at all. But uh, they can they can fix that. I want to I
1: want to ask both of you a question, because I'm smoke is coming out of my ears. I'm so angry with what I saw last Sunday night on Sunday Night Baseball. I don't know if you guys watched the game, Dodgers at the Padres. In the top of one inning, maybe the fourth inning, the excitement was about Soto's debut and national television
3: and all of this.
1: They had Soto mic'd up talking to the broadcasting booth all through the top of an inning at a championship game. Now that strikes me as absurd. If you wanted to validate all the criticisms of baseball, that it's not very out do that. Conduct an interview in the middle of the game. I don't see anyone wanting to put a mic on Tom Brady as he's taken the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down the field. Or on Steph Curry when he's bringing the ball up court for the Warriors. But because those are serious athletic events going on. What I was just out there, and I'd like both of you to do this. What does that do to baseball in the, in the, in the middle of the action to conducting an interview?
2: Well, I, I kind of agree with you where the game is hard enough to focus on and then have somebody in your ear. I, I think that's a real distraction. I, I thought when they tried it in the All-Star Game, that was more of an exhibition. Nothing was really at stake. But I think when you try and do that in a season or in postseason, uh, I think you're going to have a problem with it because I don't think players, I don't think players will really want to engage in it as well.
3: George, did you notice that they wouldn't let the umpires announce the calls to the media with a microphone until I retired? but yeah they're we're not going to give a mic to joe west and let him tell you what happened (laughs) so
2: So joe what do you think about that uh talking in the middle of a game being
3: mic mic'd up i don't think it's good for any anybody to do that i'm i'm not even happy when they they stick a microphone in front of the guy that's just won the game when he's trying to celebrate with his teammates. Uh, I think you should give them a 10 or 15 minute delay before you ever try to talk to them so they can enjoy the fact that they, they won the game or they had a great performance. Uh, So I'm, I'm a little bit against all of that uh, so-called modern technology. Um, I'm not, I I don't begrudge the, the broadcast people for trying to want a story and they want to talk to the guy that won the game or made the great play or whatever, but give them a chance to calm down and get, get their thoughts amongst themselves. You know, it's you, you the guy who scores the winning run, you stick a microphone in his face. He, he can't even get patted on the back by his teammates. So I, I'm against all of that.
2: George, if there's one other idea you might want to contribute to baseball, Something maybe you 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 thrown around in your head a little bit. Do you have anything that you'd like to contribute?
1: Well, let me see. I've gone over a fair number of them. And by the way, I want to say I like starting the tenth inning with a runner on second.
2: How about the seventh inning? Seven inning double headers. I hate
1: that. <laughs> that that's just awful. Uh, a baseball game is nine innings long. It's just, I remember when the DH came along. Someone asked Dwight Gooden what he thought of it. He says. Baseball is a game of nine people. D.H. is a 10th person. It's, it's not baseball. I liked his reasoning.
3: Yeah. Ron Fairley said uh, to Joe Morgan when they put it in the American League, he said, it's like giving the pitcher carte blanche to throw it whoever he wants to because he doesn't have to bat anymore. And uh, we brought this up before on this podcast that when Roger Clemens was in the American League, he was pretty much a headhunter. But when he. Played his first year in Houston when they were in the National League. He didn't hit anybody all year, so that that tells you a little story about that. And uh, I agree with Dwight Gooden about that. Uh, everybody should bat, you know. And if could you imagine telling Don Drysdale that he's not allowed to bat? <laughs> Joe, I got to tell you,
2: it's great to have the workout anytime on board 5460 as one of our sponsors. Many of our listeners already know that Workout Anytime as their hometown club, where they can work out on their schedule 24 seven. Others might be aware that Workout
3: Anytime is a great business opportunity as well. That's right, Mike. Workout Anytime is one of the top 200 fastest growing franchises in the country. and They've been at this for more than 20 years. And they're currently in 22 different states and they're internationally in Honduras and Costa Rica.
2: How about that? You know what? Opening up a gym is becoming a real big part. How about $30 billion in health and fitness industry is what you're talking about this year. Never has it been any easier to invest in workout anytime franchise Joe, you know, you and I are one in five American adults that have a fitness membership.
3: Yeah, I did know that as a matter of fact, and I'm told that number is expected to nearly double in the next 10 years. I know these folks that work out anytime. And I have known them for a long time. They're so passionate about the industry and their franchises rave about the support that they give the company.
2: Well, here's a great business tip go to workoutanytimefranchise.com and learn more. And while you're there, you can see the map of available locations and find out how you can arrange an initial phone conversation to hear more about the proven workout anytime business model. That's workoutanytimefranchise.com.
1: I disagree with you a little bit here because it seems to me it's, it's this principle of adult reasoning. And that if you will a particular end, you have to will the means to that end. And the end that I will is more offense. And more offense means get, the pitchers are not paid to hit, they don't practice hitting. I'm, I'm fine now after all these years with the DH. And I'm fine with the runner on second base because it's an instant rally. Uh, which the fans need. Also, and, and managers and general managers understand this. When you have a 15, 16 inning game, uh, you're going to wear out arms. You're going to call some poor de- devil up from AAA. He's going to pitch one game and then go back down. Didn't some guy from t- from Tampa get called up and sent down about seven times last year? It, it's inhumane to the players. Uh and it's, and it's hard on the pitchers. So I, I'm all for the, I mean, last night we had a, uh, a, a one nothing Mariners win over the Yankees in 13 innings. Now you got through the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, and into the 13th inning starting with a runner on second, still only one run scored in, in 13 innings. So you, you're still gonna have these aberrational kind of games like that. So it's not as though they're, we've made them impossible, we've just made them a little more rare. I want to yeah. baseball safe for Rod Carew. I want more Rod Carews.
3: Uh, Rod- well, I think, I think everybody would want more Rod Cruz, but in that extra inning game between the Mariners and the Yankees, and they started a runner at second base every inning, not one time did they bunt.
1: Yeah. Not, yep.
3: not one time did they sacrifice the runner to third. Yeah, well. So they're not, like I said, they're, they're not playing the game the way it's supposed to be played. Yeah. I can remember Ted Simmons catching for the Cardinals. It was one of my early years in, in the major leagues. That, and he was a Cardinal when I first came up. And there's a runner on second base with no outs. And uh, he's batting right-handed. And the pitch was on the inside part of the plate where he could have pulled it. And he didn't. He leaned back and hit a ground ball to the right side of the infield. And uh, so he came to bat after the inning was over. And uh, I said, you just tried to move that runner over. He says, if you can't ask the third place hitter to move a runner over, how do you ask the eighth place hitter to do it? He said, you have to play like a team. And, uh, you know, and the light kind of came on like, well, that's, he's playing like a team, you know. And, and we don't have that today. I remember Barry Bonds once said something when I asked him why he didn't move the runner over. He said, I'm not a move the runner over kind of hitter. Yeah. <laughs> so now I know there's a big difference between Barry Bonds and Ted Simmons. And a lot of it is his attitude, but, um, but they don't, they don't play to win. They play for themselves today. And that's wrong. That's wrong. You put into it as a team and, uh, And you should play like a team. And, uh, I think, uh, I think that's, you know, what it has to be. You you have to be pulling for each other. And it's just like, it's just like our country. It doesn't matter who you select as president. You need to support him and try to make him be the best he can be. You need, you need, when you have, uh, any kind of business, you want the people that are leading your business to be the very best thing they can be and help them every way you can. So uh, I, it just bothers me that America's gotten to the point where it's all me, 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 instead of we did this, we won, we did this. So um, I, I think some of it has to do with society today too. So, uh, but enough for <coughs> my soapbox. <laughs>
2: That's all right. Hey, Joe, I was gonna ask you, George. Um, you you mentioned the game is inferior to what we've seen in the past. Do you think politics is going in that same direction? Because it seems like we've kind of gotten away from the subjects at hand to have our own little internal battles, be be it Democrats fighting amongst themselves, Republicans fighting amongst themselves, and not necessarily keeping their eye on the ball.
1: Yeah. In this sense, baseball really is the national pastime because it reflects the nation's decline at this point. Uh, I've been in Washington 52 years now. And the change in the the, the incivility, the inability to have friends across the aisle, the inability to have friends in the other party. Uh, They do an interesting poll question. Would you object if your daughter married a Democrat or would your (laughs) your daughter married a Republican? And the number of people who would object to a particular their child married or someone of another party has gone way up, which is simply absurd. It's just not healthy for a society to take politics that seriously. I mean, good heavens. Uh, doesn't much matter who's president uh, and runs the country. I mean, the policies make a difference, but th- this is a sort of a happy, cheerful country most of the time, and, and the politicians can't ruin it. We're so... We're so industrious and intelligent in this country so the stakes of our politics aren't nearly as high as people think they are but once you think the stakes of politics are enormous once you think that the fate of the republic is put at risk every time we have an election then you're you're going to have high temperature high stakes high rhetoric uh, high anger politics and it gets worse and worse and worse
3: well i think you see that in the deportment of the players today. I, I think you would never see some of the conduct when I was starting and when you first started uh, living with baseball that they do today. I mean, some of these temper tantrums are just out of hand. If I had a, a 12-year-old kid that acted like some of these players, they, he wouldn't play baseball again, at least for six months, <laughs> until he learned to behave himself. And I think that we're getting away from a lot of uh, quality – things that we could teach our kids about sportsmanship and fair play. So I think you're right on target there. When, when uh, uh, baseball mirrors what our country is and, uh, and it, and it survives and it thrives in spite of some of the dumb things we do with it. So, uh, baseball's resilient. She's a, uh, she's a beautiful lady and we should treat her with respect because, uh, She deserves everything because you're right. She is the American pastime.
1: Another uh, major league committee I served on, and it was much the most important one, was I was one of four members of the Blue Ribbon Commission on Baseball Economics at the end of the 1990s. It was me, former Senator George Mitchell, Rick Levin, who was an economist who was the president of Yale, and Paul Volcker, former chairman of the Fed. And we studied baseball's economics with competitive balance in mind. And what we discovered was so obvious it was right in front of our nose, which was that you could predict far too much about the outcome of a season by counting the number of television sets in each franchises' area. That is, the vast disparities in local broadcast revenues were driving everything. And it seems to me baseball has to. I go back and do what we did after our report, go back a generation later now and tweak the baseball model. Because I think we want baseball to succeed in Cincinnati and Kansas City and Pittsburgh, great old cities with great traditions. And in order to do that, particularly with the Yes Network and Sports New York and, and the Marquee Network in Chicago, where the richer getting richer. And there's no way for the poor to get richer uh, in a commensurate way. So something's going to have to be done soon to equalize this. I, I mean, I, I know that baseball has some, they have to solve the Oakland problem. They have to solve the Tampa Bay problem. And the commissioner wants, he's made no secret of this. He wants 32 teams, two extra teams and four, eight four-team divisions. Well, you're going to have to, again, if you want to put a team in Nashville, You're going, A, you're going to get resistance from Cincinnati and Atlanta. But beyond that, uh, and there just aren't, probably aren't enough television sets in the Nashville area. But when people talk about sending the Oakland Days to Las Vegas, there's Clark County, Nevada, and outside Clark County, there are a lot more sheep than people. And people <laughs> sheep are not watching television. So I don't know how they're going to make us under the current baseball economic model. I don't know how they make it work in Las Vegas. When well,
3: well, you yeah. talk about all the extra televisions, uh, when we first instituted replay for the, for the bases for the plays on the basis and everything uh, you only get the feeds from the networks, you have 12 designated cameras that are in each ballpark. And after that, the extra feeds come from the network feeds and you can't get them in replay unless they've been broadcast. So the yes network, because they had more cameras than anybody else. When the Yankees played, we hit our best replays because we had more cameras. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing was once the Yankees figured out, that we were getting replays that were hurting them. Okay. <laughs> they quit, they quit giving them to us. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so you, you're exactly right. It's the number of televisions, <laughs> but, uh, our, our only, our only downside of replay is the fact that we're dependent on the broadcasters more than we are on the yeah. actual feeds that we have started. And, uh, but, uh, but that's a, that's a great point that, uh, there's, there's, there's more sheep than there are people. I like, <laughs> I like that. This
2: episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around a hundred bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before. Whether your car has 5,000 miles or
3: 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic, and Car Shield's administrators handle all the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or the headaches. You're taken care of. The same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through Car Shield also include coast to coast roadside assistance.
2: Car Shield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost. Get coverage today and you'll lock up your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle.
3: CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply.
2: Hey, George, for you, uh, when you watch the game and, and you see all these things that unfolding, uh, where do you see this game going? Because you talk about making changes. How do you get the Players Association and the owners in the same room to get anything done to try and improve the game? Because neither side trusts the other.
1: Well, I'm amazed and maybe either you two guys can help me understand this. I'm amazed that the Players Association has essentially given Commission Manford the power to implement enormous changes, pitch clock and all the rest. Don Fear and Gene Orson never would have done that. Now, no. <laughs> one theory that I have is this. The Players Association has two camps within it. One are position players and the others are pitchers and they got different interests. Uh, the hitters want the shift band, the pitchers don't. I got that. So maybe the Players Association says, Manford, you do it. You take the heat. I, I don't know why they did it, but uh, it, it, it does seem to me that... The, I think baseball has got about a four-year window between now and the next collective bargaining agreement to stop its downward spiral. One of the things baseball understands and this is why they're doing so much to c- promote youth baseball around the country the best predictor of being a fan when you're an adult is that you played the game when you're young you don't have to play it well don't have to play it long you have to play it long enough to understand how hard it is to make solid contact on a round ball with a round bat just to understand how hard the game is but today's young people don't consume sports the way I did when I was listening to the St. Louis Brown's radio broadcast in the 1940s. Today's young people are wired to their, to this gadget. I'm holding up an iPhone. They're wired to the smartphones. And they want things to move fast. Uh, and if they don't, they're going to get up and leave. I... and. Uh, Let me say one other, you asked me another change I like. This isn't a change on the field. This is a change in the way we serve up the product. Why we start all playoff games at about 825 in the evening, first pitch, in in the marquee events of a baseball season occur when tomorrow's customers are in bed asleep, that is not good business practice. I don't care. Now, I understand they're saying we're maximizing today's revenues by covering all our time zones in our country. You may be maximizing today's revenues, but you're guaranteed to have few, less revenue in later years. I, I don't know how many more avid baseball fans there are in this country who are more avid than I am. I don't think I saw the end of a postseason game last year. I've got a day job and there's only so many ways I can neglect it to indulge my interest in baseball. So uh, that's another thing they have to to worry
3: about. I think I can remember when we used to have the, the radios on in the classroom when I was in grade school so that we could hear the world series. And I think you're, you're, you've hit the nail on the head there. We don't have any day games in the world series. And I think we're losing the whole generation of fans because we don't. And that's a shame. They should have uh, – they, and, they, and another thing that bothers me, and because I've been part of it and I see it, is we should never play these games at 3 in the afternoon when there's a shadow in the middle of the infield. Mm, yeah. They need to play at 1 o'clock or 12 o'clock, or they need to play at night. And, and I don't care which one you make it. Uh, I think that if the game's in the Northeast and let's say it's the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Mets, uh, and it's in the fall of the year, that game should be played in the daytime because then the weather's going to be better. The games on the West Coast should be played at either 1 o'clock or 8 o'clock. And mm-hmm. I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't tell you uh, how bad that shadow is until you've had to try to hit it or watch it or catch it uh when the, the ball's coming out of a shadow. It's not it's not safe for the players and it's certainly not in the best interest of the game because you're not getting the quality of the sport that you, you should be having. Was I can it- remember back in who was it? It was uh the the Dodgers is it the Dodgers and the Mets in the playoffs? It's back uh years ago when um, it might have been Herschaisers year. And we had a rainout in Shea Stadium. And Peter Ubroth, well, that'll tell you how long ago it was. He was the commissioner. Bart Giamatti was the league president. And they come in the locker room knowing we're gonna to have to call the game off. And uh Bart went to Peter and said, uh, the television's telling me we have to do this as prime time. And as soon as he said that, I said, well, if you do that, you're going to have to charter a plane for us to get to the game because we can't get to Dodger Stadium in time for the game the next day if you play a night game tomorrow. And uh, so he looked at you, broth, and he says, what do I do? And Peter said, you go out there and tell them the game will be at 1 o'clock tomorrow, and if they want to televise it, they need to be here. <laughs> yeah. And and that's what he did. But th- they don't do that today. You. The, the office of the commissioner should run the game. The office of the commissioner say we're playing this game at noon or we're going to play this game at seven o'clock. Are we going to play it at eight o'clock? But there should never. And I don't understand why the Players Association haven't attacked this because it's not safe. There should never be a game start with a shadow between the pitchers, man, and home plate it should never happen.
1: There's a pretty good chance to say no more that the Dodgers are going to be in this World Series, which means that a game that starts at 8.20 Eastern time is going to start at 5.20 Pacific time, and you know what Dodger Stadium's like. It's It's awful. Yeah. It's
3: awful at that time. Mike,
1: you asked one other thing about changes I'd make. Again, this isn't on the field, not a rules change. I'd go back to 154 games, 163 games, 62 games, and 183 days is A, too much, and B, it's really too much when you keep adding layers of playoffs. It's just absurd to have baseballs seeping into November. Uh, the quality of the product goes down. People are getting injured more. I'm convinced because the, there's just not enough time off. Uh, 154 games is a, is a number with a nice resonant history in baseball. Uh, go back to that.
2: One final question for you, for me, George, Will. Um, teams that tank, what, what can be done about that? Because you have teams that, that surrender before opening day. If they get to 500, it's, it's a, it's a, they're having a parade. And when you see teams selling off so many assets at the deadline, giving away players and maybe not even getting anything in return, uh, but they just want to keep the payroll down, what, what, can, you be, what can be done about that?
1: The problem, as you know, is Houston and the Cubs. Houston said, we're going to tank for three years and go to the World Series. The Cubs said, we're going to tank for three years and go to the World Series. guess what? They went Went to the World Series. (laughs) Uh, You have to, what I'm saying is their behavior was rational. So you have to change the incentives. It was rational given the structure of incentives in baseball at that time. So change the incentives. That's how you do it in life. you can do it with uh, requiring as a condition of revenue sharing a, a, a higher floor on spending now traditionally the players association has been opposed to a minimum payroll because they thought it implied you could have a maximum payroll they were and they had this phobia against uh, the uh, uh, the idea of a salary cap but using uh, revenue sharing as a lever uh is one way to say that uh, we're going to make it more possible for uh, teams to to continue without going through this. I mean, Oakland's having a miserable year this year, but generally, Billy Bean has, over the years, kept Oakland competitive without 100 lost seasons. And uh, I I don't know how Tampa Bay does it, but we ought to study them (laughs) and tell other people to do it. they They don't have these these terrible deep troughs between their peaks.
3: Joe, anything else? Oh, that was, I mean, that was brilliant. I mean, it, I'm so excited you came on and, and I'm tickled to death to talk to you. Always a pleasure. And uh, I can't thank you enough. And I know baseball appreciates your love of the game because I, I certainly appreciate it. So,
1: Well, I've, uh, I've enjoyed this. Uh, I was just thinking, I am so old, Joe, that I remember when in the late 40s and up to 1953, a lot of players at the end of an inning would throw their gloves behind them on
3: leave, the field. They you know, stayed on the field. Yeah.
1: Well, that's the definition of old. In America.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's not the definition of old. I've had some of these young umpires ask me what kind of player Babe Ruth was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, George, well, we thank you so much for spending
2: time with us on 5460, the Joe West Podcast. And uh, we appreciate everything you've meant to the game of baseball. And good luck to you and your travel, sir.
1: Thank you. We'll do this again sometime.
0: My baby took me to the ballpark to see a baseball game. It had to be at least 99 in the shade I was stealing a glance at some tight short pants Just as I turned my head My baby grabbed me by the arm And this is what she said If you cheat on me You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone You better play it safe And don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me You'll be out at home You've been listening to 5460
2: The Joe West Podcast Here on the Podcast Heat Network Make sure to subscribe And don't miss an episode Each and every Monday We'll talk to you next week
0: She's checking all the signs While I'm enjoying two of the great American pastimes It's fouling up my nerve Watching all these curves Remembering what she said to me And if I get caught looking It's gonna be strike three If you cheat on me You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone You better play it safe And don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well, you'll be out at home If you cheat on me You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone You better play it safe And don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well, you'll be out at home If you cheat on me You'll be out at home